Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, you can visit teacherluke.wordpress.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Luke's English Podcast. It's great to be able to talk to you like this uh, in into your ears, eardrums through the medium of, of technology, uh, headphones, a speaker, that kind of thing. Um, isn't it incredible that this is actually possible, that I can sit here in front of my computer and just talk to you in this way, and then for you to just somehow magically get that stuff, get these words that I'm saying onto your portable MP3 device or whatever it is you're using, and then you can just listen to it wherever you are, whatever you're doing instantly connecting you with some live English as it's actually happening. Um, it's Obviously, it's not live. I've been through that before. This is I'm recording this. Uh, but I'm speaking live now. You know, I am alive, and this is being recorded live. I, I haven't recorded this earlier and then just played it back into a tape machine. No, this is actually happening right now, and you're now listening to a recording of it. Um, so, okay, what's this episode all about? This one is um, another episode about British comedy. Um, a few weeks ago, I started this series by looking at Ali G. Um, and then um, this time I decided that I'd go way back into comedy history and uh, basically give you a chance to listen to some really classic stuff from the 1960s. Um, and uh, we're going to hear um, a sketch or two from a comedy show called Not Only But Also, uh, which was first broadcast on the BBC back in the 60s, probably 1965, uh, when TV was in black and white and there were only three channels. OK, um, so that's, you know, ages ago now. Um, now, I'd love to tell you all about this show and how uh, and, and the people who made it, uh, Peter Cook and Dudley Moore are their names, and they're basically the fathers of modern British TV comedy. Um, I'd love to tell you all about how, before Monty Python even existed, Peter Cook and Dudley Moore were doing surreal, satirical, and anti-establishment comedy on BBC TV, and getting huge audience ratings, and inspiring generations of people. I'd also love to tell you more about the history of British comedy, because for some reason it's very important to me. It's one of my favourite subjects. It just feels very significant, and I want to share it with you. Listening to these things is obviously good for your English, but ultimately the reward is even higher than that, because you can enjoy listening to something that's a little bit special as well. Uh, but I also realise that you might not have the same level of slightly fanatical interest in the history of comedy as I do. I could bang on about some comedians from the 1960s, but you might think, okay, this is interesting, Luke, but let's not, let's, but let's just listen to some of their work, shall we, instead of just listening to you talking about them. So, in this episode, I've decided to just basically skip through all the stuff about the history of comedy and all that kind of thing and just go straight to a couple of sketches. 
tell you about them, help you to understand them. And then later on in this episode, I'll give you a little history lesson on Peter Cook and Dudley Moore and their place in the history of pop culture. And then not only will you be able to enjoy their comedy, but you'll also learn a bit about British cultural history. Of course, you'll also be practicing your listening and picking up some vocab on the way. Um, Now, let's focus on the first sketch that I'm going to tell you uh, that that we're going to listen to. Um, So you get the idea, don't you? Peter Cook and Dudley Moore, two comedians from the the 60s. uh, They were on BBC TV back in the black and white era on their own show in which they had little sketches and improvised bits of comedy and stuff. Um, So the first sketch we're going to listen to is called A Bit of a Chat. Uh, and is also known as The Facts of Life. Now, in this scene, you will hear a father talking to his son about a slightly sensitive topic. Now, the scene was written and filmed in the early 60s, and it obviously is set in uh, that kind of old-fashioned world. So, first, I'd I'd like you to just listen to this and try and work out what's going on, okay? Then I'll explain things and you can hear it again. There is a script available for this sketch on my webpage. So as you listen to this, you should just try and work out what's happening, okay? I'm not. I'm going to tell you a few things in a second, but basically, you should try and work out what's going on, what's actually happening. Why is this such a strange conversation? Why is the audience laughing? Now you might need to read between the lines, which means look beyond what is just being said in order to kind of discover the hidden meanings or suggestions at work. So, as you listen, try and read behind the line, read between the lines, and try and work out what's actually going on. Um, so, there are some things that you should know actually before you listen. Or am I going to tell you this now, or am I going to tell you after? No, I'm not. I'm not going to tell you that stuff. I've, I've got some cultural things. Um, here, but I'm not going to tell you them now. I'm going to try and let you just work it out for yourself. So I'm just going to present the sketch to you, maybe teach you a few words first. But you've just got to try and work out everything. The context, what kind of characters they are, uh, what kind of social class they are, um, what the hidden meanings are. You've got to work it out for yourself first, and then I will explain stuff for you afterwards, including the vocab, right? Actually, I'm not going to do the vocab now. I'm just going to see if you can work it out. And then when you've listened to it, then I'll go through everything, the cultural stuff, the vocab, and every line that they say in order to decode it so that not only will you understand the words, you'll also understand the the humour being expressed um, as well. And then hopefully you'll, you'll really enjoy it. This is the kind of sketch that you can listen to again and again because I think it's so well written and so well performed that it stands up to scrutiny. It really does. I've been used, I've used it, I, I can't speak my own language sometimes. I've used this piece of audio lots and lots of times in lessons in my classes and it almost always goes down well. Um, so let's have a listen to it. Here you, here you have um, Peter Cook and Dudley Moore and the sketch is called A Bit of a Chat and I'll explain it to you in just a second. All right, bye for now. Is that you, Roger? Yes, Father. Let's have a tea in here for you if you'd like one. It's very kind of you, sir, but I've just come in from Raga and I'm a... Big grubby. I think I'll go and have a shower first, sir. Well, pour me a cup. There's a good chap, would you? Certainly, sir. Yes, of course. Thank you. <clears throat> How was school today? Oh, much as usual. Thank you, sir. But I, I caught someone having a crafty smoke behind the wooden buildings. Had to give him rather a ticking off. Such a filthy habit, you know, sir. It's a filthy habit, Roger. Yes. There we are, sir. Now, if you'll Thank excuse you. me. Uh, Roger? Yes, sir? Um, 
sit down. Roger, your mother and I were having a bit of a chat the other day, and she thought it might be a good idea if I was to have a bit of a chat with you. Um, a bit of a chat, sir? A bit of a chat, yes, Roger, just um, a bit of a chat. What about, sir? Well, there's nothing to be worried about, Roger. It's just that, um, well, to be perfectly frank, how old are you? <laughs> well, to be perfectly frank, sir, I'm coming up to 18. Just coming up to 18? Well, on the verge. On the verge of 18. Yes, well, I thought it might be a good idea to have a bit of a chat now, because I remember from my own experience that it was when I was just, you know, coming up to 18. On the verge. On the verge of it. <laughs> that I first began to take a, a serious interest in the, um, in the opposite, um, the opposite number. <laughs> now, I don't know, Roger, if you know anything about the method whereby you came to be brought about. Well, sir, some of the boys at school say very filthy things about it, sir. This is what I was worried about, and this is why I thought I'd have a bit of a chat and explain absolutely, frankly, and openly, the method whereby you and everybody in this world came to be. <laughs> Roger, in order... In order for you to be brought about, it was necessary for your mother and I to do something. In particular, it was necessary for your mother, it was necessary for your mother to sit on a chair. <laughs> to sit on a chair which I had recently vacated and which was still warm from my body. And then something very mysterious, rather wonderful and beautiful happened. And sure enough, four years later, you were born. Now, there's nothing unhealthy about this, Roger. There's nothing unnatural. It's a beautiful thing in the right hands, and there's no need to think less of your mother because of it. She had to do it, she did it, and here you are. Well, sir, it's very kind of you to tell me. One thing actually slightly alarms me. Um, I was sitting in this very chair yesterday, sir, and I vacated it, and the cat sat on it while it was still warm. <laughs> and sh should we have it destroyed? It's a lovely chair, Roger. Cat, sir. Destroyed? Oh, no, Roger, you don't understand. This thing of which I speak can only happen between two people who are married. And you're not married. Um, not yet anyway, sir. Not to the cat in any case. <laughs> well, Roger, now you have this knowledge about chairs and warmth, I hope, I hope you'll use it wisely. Sir. And take no notice of your school friends or what Uncle Bertie may say. Dirty Uncle Bertie, they call him. <laughs> dirty Uncle Bertie, and they're right, Roger. Your Uncle Bertie is a dirty, dirty man. He's been living with us now for 40 years, and it does seem a day too much. 
You know, if it hadn't been for your mother, Roger, I'd, I don't know where we'd have been. She's the only person who can really cope with Uncle Bertie. She's the only one who can really deal with him. I don't know if you realize this, Roger, but your mother even has to sleep in the same bed as Uncle Bertie to prevent him getting up to anything in the night. <laughs> if only there were more people like your mother, Roger. Well, I'm, I'm very pleased that you have told me this, sir, because, as I say, I'm very glad I don't have to believe all those filthy things that the boys at school say. And only yesterday, Uncle Bertie said to me... Take no notice of Uncle Bertie, Roger. He's a sick, sick man, and we should feel sorry for him. Well, I'll, I'll try, sir. <sighs> well, thank you, sir. Um, I wonder if I should take a cup of tea up to Mother while I, it's still... I, I wouldn't do that, Roger. <laughs> She's upstairs at the moment, coping with Uncle Bertie. <laughs> Poor Uncle Bertie. Poor Uncle Bertie. Okay, so how much of that did you understand, I wonder? Did you get the humorous aspects of it? Let me now explain uh, the context and the main points of the sketch, all right? So that you can then just make sure you got it completely. Um, so first of all, what happened? Well, um, you, obviously you can't see the video, so you can't actually see what's going on, but I don't think you really need to know too much. There's, there aren't many visual aspects to it. You can, of course, see the video. You can go to my website and find the, the uh, post for this, this episode, and you'll see the video there. Um, so basically what happened was um, it started in like a, like a living room or something, or a dining room in some posh old house, and the father is sitting there, and he's got like the tea set out, and he's nicely dressed in a suit, and um, he looks very kind of um, old-fashioned, you know, sitting upright uh, with his suit on, moustache, you know, like well-presented gentleman kind of thing. And then uh, the other character comes in and he's dressed in a school uniform. So that's shorts, uh, socks pulled up, um, like a, a blazer uh, with a badge on it, uh, a shirt and a tie and a cap, you know, like a traditional old English school uniform. But the, the guy wearing it is actually a, a man. I mean, he's the same age as the other guy. He's probably in his late 20s or something like that. So it's a, obviously it's a bit ridiculous seeing Dudley Moore dressed as a schoolboy, and especially since Dudley Moore is actually quite short. He's kind of short and he looks a little bit boyish anyway, so already there's a little visual gag there that there's this uh, grown man dressed as a schoolboy, and he looks kind of like a schoolboy because he's so short. And so he comes in and the, the father, played by Peter Cook, invites him to join him for a cup of tea, and it sounds a bit serious, you know, it's almost like he has something important to tell him. And it's very awkward because the son doesn't really want to have this conversation right um but he, the the dad manages to get him to sit down and um he explains that uh, he's been having a bit of a chat with uh, the boy's mother and she thought that it would be a good idea if he had a bit of a chat with the boy called Roger um okay so obviously the mother has told the dad that he needs to have a kind of important conversation with Roger and obviously he's been told by the mother that he has to explain the facts of life to Roger because they're, you know, they think, well, now that he's 18, he's probably thinking about girls and stuff like that. So he needs to know, um, you know, how, where babies come from, basically. And obviously it's ridiculous because the guy's like 
clearly quite old, you know, he's 18 at least, and he still doesn't know about this. Um, although it seems that the boys at school do say some rather rude things and um, and sort of Roger doesn't really understand what they mean. So his father says, OK, that's exactly why I decided to tell you, uh, you know, these things. And of course, the father goes ahead and tells him just something completely ridiculous. It's as if he's about to explain in a, in, in a probably rather an awkward way how babies are made uh, and uh, he doesn't really manage it instead he kind of gives this lame version of of events where um, for Roger to be born it was necessary for his mother to sit on a chair a chair which uh, he had recently vacated and which was still warm from his body so obviously this is not how babies are created uh, but this is this weird version of the of the story that he's telling Roger nine uh, four years later Roger you were born now why is he doing this? Maybe it's because he's too embarrassed to um, explain the facts of life to his son. And it's just far too embarrassing for him to be able to do it in a comfortable way. Or maybe it's because the father himself actually doesn't know either. Now, that is possible because later on we start to hear about this character called Dirty Uncle Bertie. And it seems that uh, Uncle Bertie lives with uh, the family. In fact, uh, the mother has to sleep in the same bed as Dunk, uh, as Uncle Bertie in order to prevent him from getting up to anything in the night. Um, so what's really going on here? Um, let's have a look. In fact, let me now just sort of uh, explain some context to this as well. And then we'll actually listen to it line by line and make sure you understand every single bit all right so for context what do you know already about the father-son relationships in the UK in the 1950s and 60s well you might know that they were very formal especially among upper class or middle uh, upper class or upper middle class families it would be quite formal sons would often call their father sir they'd be very respectful as if talking to someone of much higher status they probably didn't spend a lot of time together either these days, fathers and sons from normal middle-class families are very close, usually. They share quite a lot. They're able to talk quite openly about sensitive subjects like relationships or sex education. That's these days. Now, it might be embarrassing for, for the boy, but basically the father feels quite comfortable doing it, and it's normal and accepted. But back in the 1950s or 60s, it wasn't exactly the same. I wonder what it was like in your countries you know, have have values or behaviour changed a lot since uh, the, the 50s or 60s? Has it become less formal in your countries? Um, it certainly has in, in the UK. I suppose that um, back in the 50s or 60s, British men were less in touch with their feelings, you know, and they found it very awkward to discuss sensitive personal topics openly. Instead, they may have dealt with them in the same kind of formalised and distant way that that they would uh, to talk about other topics. Also, we wonder how much most people really knew about sex education in those days. Back in the 50s or 60s, before the era of sexual liberation, I think that a lot of people were completely in the dark about reproduction and all that kind of thing. You hear stories about stuff that girls would tell each other, you know, like ways in which you can avoid getting pregnant. For example, if you have sex standing up, you can't get pregnant. You know, that kind of nonsense. I'm sure there was a lot of that kind of uh, uh, um, ill-informed uh, pseudo-wisdom going around. Um, 
so and, and these days you know people are a lot more comfortable talking about reproduction and sex not completely but certainly more than they were 50 years ago so that gives you an idea of the context in which these two characters are having this conversation um, let me tell you a little bit about the class system in in the uk because um, this is quite important for this sketch uh, particularly the upper class because you're listening to two people who are definitely from an upper class family and in a way, this is a joke about the upper classes as much as anything else uh, and the kind of formalised family relationships that they had. Um, so the class system, right, the upper class. Nowadays, most people are middle class. In fact, many people believe that in the UK, we don't have a formalised class system anymore. 50 years ago, the UK was a lot more divided by class, you know, like lower class or working class at the bottom, middle class and then upper class. You could argue that there's an aristocracy on the top of that as well. Um, let's look at the traditional upper class culture. So the upper class or upper middle classes were considered to be wealthy, educated, respectable and quite formal. They weren't really liberated sexually, but instead they were bound by polite and formal social conventions. They would have been quite prudish about sex, finding it very embarrassing to talk about the subject and maybe even offensive completely. Many of the men would have been educated in exclusive single-sex boarding schools. Um, what's a boarding school? That's when the kids go to school and they, they live there, they sleep there and everything. So during term time, they're just away at the boarding school. A bit like Harry Potter, but in this case, boys only and none of the magic and adventure from Harry Potter, just sort of coldness and bullying, you know? Um, so these, these boarding schools, by all accounts, would have been pretty cold, very formal and quite brutal. The boys never mixed with girls and they grew up to be pretty clueless about sex. Also, because the kids were away at boarding school, uh, they wouldn't really spend a lot of time with their parents. Um, and so the father was a lot more like a master than a friendly dad. There was a great deal of distance between the generations as well at that time. A big generation gap. Um, you get the sense also that the, the the older generation at that time had experienced some pretty terrible things with the war in particular, the depression and then the war and stuff. And so that generation was often marked by a kind of stiff form formality with a sense of there being things going on under the surface, which they aren't really talking about. So on one hand, that could be trauma that the, they experienced during the war. Um, but also maybe just the sense of like there being sexual and a sexual undercurrent, which they are uh, kind of trying to keep under control with that stiff upper lip kind of British mentality. Um, so that that perhaps tells you about the stiffness and awkwardness um, in this uh, father son relationship, especially when they're talking about sex. Um, let me just tell you some vocab as well before we we finally listen to this sketch again. Um, it seems that very posh people from this period often didn't really say exactly what they meant. They might, for example, make something sound more trivial than it actually is. Okay, so you might hear Roger saying, "I had to give someone rather a ticking off." I had to give someone rather a ticking off. This means I had to quite forcefully reprimand someone for doing something wrong. Okay, um, let's see. Other words that you might hear, rugger, rugger, that means rugby 
We'll come to these words actually in a, in a, in a minute, so I don't need to go through them now. Um, but one thing we should note is the way in which um, uh, this relationship is, is marked by a rather a formal um, register in the language they're using. So it's all rather formal and, and, and awkward. Uh, we'll have a look at that language in just a moment. Um, so let's listen to it again. And remember, it's all about reading between the lines, what's really going on, what really happened, and which are the specifically funny lines and why are they funny? Um, often there's like a double meaning well, not completely a double meaning, but a suggestion of something. For example, the line, there's a cup of tea in here if you'd like one. What does that really mean? Well, it actually means come and sit down because I need to talk to you about something important. Okay. Um, the lad doesn't want to do that because it's probably too awkward to talk to his old man and it sounds like it could be serious. So let's listen to it again now and then we'll kind of pause and consider each line and see what's going on and what's funny. Here we go. Is that you, Roger? Yes, Father. <laughs> yes, I'll tea in here for you if you'd like one. It's very kind of you, sir, but I've just come in from Raga and I'm a bit grubby. I think I ought to go and have a shower first, sir. Well, pour me a cup. There's a good chap, would you? Certainly, sir. Yes, of course. Now, I imagine that might have sounded just like deb, 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 certainly, of course, but deb, 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 to you. It might have done. I, I don't know. But what happened? Well, um, uh, is that you, Roger? And then Roger says, yes, uh, Father, uh, I've just come in from Rugger and I'm a bit grubby. I think I'd better go and change my clothes. I think that's what he says. Is that you, Roger? Yes, Father. It's very kind of you, sir, but I've just come in from Rugger and I'm a... I've just come in from Rugger and I'm a bit grubby. Okay, rugger, you remember, is rugby, and grubby means dirty. So he's just come in from playing rugby, and he's a bit dirty. A bit grubby. I think I ought to go and have a shower first, sir. Well, pour me a cup. There's a good chap, would you? Certainly, sir. Yes, of course. Well, pour me a cup. There's a good chap, won't you? Pour me a cup. Obviously, means pour me a cup of tea. There's a good chap. A good chap. Okay, we don't say that anymore, really. It's very posh sort of thing. There's a good chap. Pour, pour me a cup. There's a good chap, won't you? Meaning, you know... Please pour me a cup. And he goes, yes, certainly, sir. So obviously you can hear he calls him sir. It's like very polite. Certainly, sir. He's like a waiter or something. Yes, certainly, sir. Thank you. <clears throat> How was school today? Oh, much as usual. Thank you, sir. But I, I caught someone having a crafty smoke behind the wooden buildings. How was school today? Uh, much as usual. But I caught somebody having a crafty smoke behind the wooden buildings. So this means that Roger is some kind of prefect like an you know an officer at school so he's in charge of like you know laying down some of the rules at school he's a special student um, so he caught some people having a crafty smoke behind the wooden buildings a crafty smoke is like a secret smoke they're like hiding behind the wooden buildings having a bit of a smoke okay so he he caught them behind the wooden buildings having a crafty smoke had to give him rather a ticking off such a filthy habit you know sir it's a filthy habit roger yes. I had to give them rather a ticking off, as I explained before. That means that he told them off. I had to give them rather a ticking off. Now, that's an understatement. He probably said in very strong terms that they shouldn't be doing it. You know, why are you here smoking? You, sh you really shouldn't be doing that. I had to give them rather a ticking off. It's a filthy habit. 
Filthy, of course, means very dirty. It's a filthy habit. And the father goes, it's a filthy habit, Roger, which I find hilarious. I don't know why. I love it when Peter Cook says, it's a filthy habit, Roger. It's almost like he's humouring him or something. Had to give him rather a ticking off. Such a filthy habit, you know, sir. It's a filthy habit, Roger. There we are, sir. Now, if you'll excuse me. Uh, Roger. Yes, sir. Um, Sit down. Roger, your mother and I were having a bit of a chat the other day, and she thought it might be a good idea if I was to have a bit of a chat with you. Um. I love the accent, don't you? This is like really genuine, old-fashioned, posh British accent. Uh, Your mother and I were having a bit of a chat the other day, and she thought it might be a good idea if I was to have a bit of a chat with you. Just... Just a bit of a chat. Just a bit of a chat. So not um, my my your mother and I were having a bit of a chat the other day and she thought it might be a good idea if I was to have a bit of a chat with you. A bit of a chat with you. You know that kind of super posh way of speaking? Anyway. A bit of a chat, sir. A bit of a chat, yes, Roger. Just um, a bit of a chat. What about, sir? Well, there's nothing to be worried about, Roger. It's just that, um, well, to be perfectly frank... How old are you? <laughs> well, to be perfectly frank, how old are you? Now, that's how old are, how old are you. I sort of round the vowel sounds more. How old are you? But he's like, well, to be perfectly frank, how old are you? You know, it's, it's very hard to put my finger on it. I should have done phonetic research. But you can. I hope you can hear the difference in the vowel sounds. Let's hear that again. A bit of a chat, sir. A bit of a chat, yes, Roger, just... Um, a bit of a chat. What about, sir? Well, there's nothing to be worried about, Roger. It's just that, um, well, to be perfectly frank, how old are you? <laughs> how old are you? Hmm. If you... One thing, if you want to speak posh, okay, here's a, a really easy way to say a phrase in a very posh accent. Okay, you, are you ready? So um, often when, let's imagine two posh people meet at a garden party, they might say, oh, hello. In fact, when two people meet each other, they might say, oh, hello. Right, now, how do you say, oh, hello, in a very posh way? Well, what you do is you say air, like the air you breathe, hair, like uh, hair on your head, and lair, like um, a lair where a dragon lives. And it sounds, air, hair, Okay, eh, hello. That's a very posh way of saying, oh, hello. Eh, hello. And you have to say it in that ridiculous intonation. Eh, hello. How lovely to see you. You know, that's a super posh way of speaking. Um, For example, you might say something like, you might say, eh, hello, yes. We're looking for the garden party. Do you know the ways of the garden party? Now, that might sound ridiculous, but have a listen to this. Uh, here's a little sketch, just a bonus sketch from nowhere, in which you're going to hear two co- uh, two uh, extremely posh people asking for directions, and just listen to the super poshness in this voice. Ah. Hello, hello, yes, we're looking for the garden party. Do you know the way to the garden party? Yes. Isn't that wonderful? Come on, you can do that, can't you? Yes, hello, we're looking for the garden party. Do you know the way to the garden party? Just do it, it's fun. Eh, hello! 
You can imagine you're some kind of super posh guy at a garden party drinking a glass of champagne. Oh, well, I do love to spend time here in the garden drinking champagne. Isn't this lovely? Oh, hello. Anyone for tennis? <laughs> that kind of thing. We're looking for the garden party. Do you know the way to the garden party? Yes. Anyway, back to the sketch. So, um, a bit of a chat. Well, to be perfectly frank, how old are you? Well, to be perfectly frank, how old are you? <laughs> well, to be perfectly frank, so I'm coming up to 18. Just coming up to 18. Well, on the verge. On the verge of 18. Yes, well, I thought it might be... A good idea to have a bit of a chat now, because I remember from my own experience that it was when I was just, you know, coming up to 18. On the verge. On the verge of it. <laughs> that I first began to take a, a serious interest in the, um, in the opposite, um, the opposite number. <laughs> So clearly the father here just can't bring himself to even say the word sex, even when it's not talking about the act of sex, when it's talking about the opposite sex. He still can't say the word. And you can see he's attempting very valiantly to um, deal with this subject in the only way he knows how, and that is to formalise it. Well, and to make it kind of casual, he's trying to be casual as well. I think that's the one of the key things about this performance, is that he's doing it it's like, well, you know, it's nothing to be alarmed about, it's perfectly fine, uh, but you, un you un get the impression underneath he's like, you know, he's very... Uh, scared because he doesn't know how to talk about this you know intimate topic oh it's nothing to be alarmed about roger it's a, 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 absolutely fine it's just that um well um i thought it might be a, a good time to um just have a just, just a bit of a chat you know making it sound much lighter than it actually is which is ridiculous because it's not even a very difficult subject to talk about but clearly in those days it was um so yes he can't even say sex so he has to say uh, the opposite uh, the opposite number which is a bizarre way of referring to it, isn't it? It's kind of funny, just that way. Now, I don't know, Roger, if you know anything about the method whereby you came to be brought about. <laughs> the method whereby you came to be brought about, which is a very uh, long-winded way of, of referring to the act of um, conception, the act of sex, isn't it? I don't know if you know anything about the moment... Uh, in which you came to be brought about to bring something about means to make something happen to come to come to be also means to be born or to exist he came you know it came to be meaning it happened it was brought about mean it happened so it's basically a way of saying i don't know if you know anything about the way in which you happened or were created basically sex isn't it and birth well, sir, some of the boys at school say very filthy things about it, sir. This is what I was worried about, and this is why I thought I'd have a bit of a chat and explain absolutely, frankly and openly the method whereby you and everybody in this world came to be. Now, I love the way the intonation pattern just goes down and down and down and down and down in that phrase, because it's kind of like... He begins positive because he's like, yes, absolutely. That's why I thought it would be a good idea to talk about this. He starts up there positive and then slowly when he gets closer to the realisation of what it actually is, he's going to say the intonation just goes down. And at the end, it seems very sombre 
and very serious indeed. In fact, Roger takes off his hat at that moment. Well, sir, some of the boys at school say very filthy things about it, sir. This is what I was worried about, and this is why I thought I'd have a bit of a chat and explain absolutely, frankly and openly the method whereby you and everybody in this world came to be. So now Roger takes his takes off his hat. And also note the pronunciation. Um, that's why I thought I'd talk about it absolutely franklier and openlier. That franklier, almost like a lear sound. Absolutely franklier and openly, the method whereby you and everybody in this world came to be. So frankly, openly, it's odd feature of pronunciation isn't it that that kind of posh accent um all right and at that moment uh, roger takes off his cap you know if you, you take your hat off it's like it's a very serious situation suddenly <laughs> roger in order in order for you to be brought about it was necessary for your mother and I to do something. (laughs) In particular, it was necessary for your mother, it was necessary for your mother to sit on a chair. (laughs) To sit on a chair which I had recently vacated and which was still warm from my body. And then something very mysterious rather wonderful and beautiful happened and sure enough four years later (laughs) you were born now there's nothing unhealthy about this roger there's nothing unnatural it's a beautiful thing in the right hands and there's no need to think less of your mother because of it she had to do it she did it and here you are i love that she had to do it she did it and here you are. So it's almost like it was like some sort of duty or obligation at this stage. And also the story that he gives is obviously completely ridiculous. And as I said before, does this mean that he's just too embarrassed to talk about it? Or is it that somehow he doesn't even know himself? Imagine this is a guy who went to boarding school. Um, he wasn't really exposed to the opposite sex. He's probably not very uh, well educated. His, I expect his father wasn't really able to tell him all about it. The chances are that this guy has never even had sex in his life. He might even, for all we know, still be a virgin, which does ask the question, where did Roger come from, doesn't it? Uh, but let's see. No need to think less of your mother because of it. She had to do it, she did it, and here you are. <laughs> well, sir, it's very kind of you to tell me. One thing actually slightly alarms me. Um, I was sitting in this very chair yesterday, sir, and I vacated it, and the cat sat on it while it was still warm. <laughs> Um, Should we have it destroyed? It's a lovely chair, Roger. Cats, sir. Destroyed? Oh, no, Roger, you don't understand. This thing of which I speak can only happen between two people who are married. And you're not married. Um, Not yet anyway, sir. Not to the cat in any case. So I like the way Roger just accepts this version of events. Um, and at, at this point, it seems that they've kind of broken some ground in their relationship and they're they're on rather friendly terms again. They've kind of cleared the air with this and it seems they're able to relate in a much warmer way. Um, and he even makes a little joke, you know, like, uh, well, um, um, what is it? You're not married and not to the cat in any case. 
Uh, just a, a typical line that Peter Cook would throw into this, a sketch like this, maybe even improvised it. He's that kind of comedian. And then they talk about Uncle Bertie. Well, Roger, now you have this knowledge about chairs and warmth, I hope, I hope you'll use it wisely. And take no notice of your school friends or what Uncle Bertie may say. Dirty Uncle Bertie, they call him. Dirty Uncle Bertie, and they're right, Roger. Your Uncle Bertie is a dirty, dirty man. He's been living with us now for 40 years, and it does seem a day too much. Okay, so who is this Uncle Bertie character? Who is Dirty Uncle Bertie, who's got this reputation even in school? Even the kids at school know about Dirty Uncle Bertie. And apparently he's been living with them for 40 years. Now, okay, hold on a minute. Um, okay, so we've got this, this, this other character who seems to be some kind of sexual deviant or something. And he's living with them as well. And it turns out that the mother even has to uh, sleep in the same bed as Uncle Bertie to prevent him from getting up to anything at night. So if you get up to something, it means you do something and do something possibly that you shouldn't be doing. Okay, and so the mother has to sleep with him just to prevent him from getting up to anything during the night. Okay. You know, if it hadn't been for your mother, Roger, I'd, I don't know where we'd have been. She's the only person who can really cope with Uncle Bertie. She's the only one who can really deal with him. I don't know if you realise this, Roger, but your mother even has to sleep in the same bed as Uncle Bertie to prevent him getting up to anything in the night. <laughs> If only there were more people like your mother, Roger. Well, I'm, I'm very pleased that you... Okay, so why is he now sort of praising the mother as if she's some kind of saint? You know, that she's... If only the world... If only there were more people like your mother in the world, then we wouldn't have to put up with, with uh, so many problems. Um, so to deal with something, to cope with something, obviously means to kind of manage something, doesn't it? Um, and, um, okay, so is the... Is it possible that Uncle Bertie is, is Roger's father? Is that possible? Because clearly the, the, real, the, the father here doesn't know what he's talking about. And Uncle Bertie's been living with them for 40 years. And it, they, he sleeps with the, the boy's mother. So he, I expect Uncle Bertie is Roger's father. And the father here hasn't got a clue what's going on. He's probably never even had a sexual encounter. Certainly not with a woman. You never know what goes on in those all-male boarding schools. Just saying. Have told me this, sir, because, as I say, I'm very glad I don't have to believe all those filthy things that the boys at school say. And only yesterday, Uncle Bertie said to me... Take no notice of Uncle Bertie, Roger. He's a sick, sick man, and we should feel sorry for him. Well, I'll, I'll try, sir. <sighs> well, thank you, sir. Um, I wonder if I should take a cup of tea up to Mother while I, it's still... I, I wouldn't do that, Roger. <laughs> She's upstairs at the moment coping with Uncle Bertie. <laughs> Poor Uncle Bertie. Poor Uncle Bertie. All right, so there you go. So perhaps, um, as well as all the clever ideas and stuff that uh, we were talking about before, also in this sketch, there's a kind of, just a sort of cheeky rudeness to it as well with the sexual elements at the end there and it's but it's also poking fun at a kind of very restricted culture 
and the fact that these you know certain types of people at that time were so restricted and so bound by formality and so on that they weren't even able to deal with the truth you know to deal with reality as it were and certainly they weren't able to contain uh, any kind of sexual feelings that they had right now um I guess on similar lines, we're now going to hear another sketch by these guys, which is called The Psychiatrist. And um, I think I'm, I'm not going to tell you much about this sketch beforehand. Um, again, I will just let you listen to it. Uh, but actually, we hear from Roger again. I don't know if it's just a coincidence, but one of the characters in this is called Roger, and he plays a young man. It could be it could be Roger from the previous sketch, just, you know, in a few years, maybe in his early 20s as a university graduate, something like that. And he obviously has been seeing a psychiatrist for some time, and we catch them now in a meeting near the end of uh, Roger's psychiatry course. And it seems that Roger has has fallen in love with someone. And the psychiatrist, obviously being very supportive and being very sort of scientific in his approach, is just coldly rational about the whole thing. He's obviously very professional. In fact, his job is the most important thing in his life, more important than his family life. And it overrides any other values, this psychiatrist. Any other values that he has are completely overridden by his professional duty to scientific evaluation. And I suppose the sketch is some kind of comment on that. And it's also just a just a laugh, isn't it, really? So have a listen now to the psychiatrist sketch. And I'll just explain a few things and give you some vocabulary um, at the end. And I think that'll probably be it at that point. Um, but now let me cue up the audio for the psychiatrist sketch. And here it is. Come in. Hello, Roger. Hello, Dr. Braintree. Hello. Come I'm in. So sorry I'm late. That's quite all right. Yes. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Would you like to sit down or would you prefer to lie? Um, I'll sit, thank right. you. Right, well, sit right yes. down. Now, tell me, how are you in yourself? Well, I'm, I'm really feeling rather in the pink. Oh, this is terrific. Yes. It's funny, really, you know, if anybody had told me that talking to psychiatrists would have helped me at all, I'd have laughed in their faces, you yes. know. But I can honestly say that our little chats together have have really been a tremendous benefit to me. Well, I'm so glad, Roger. Of course, a lot of people are instinctively very suspicious of psychiatry, and possibly, you know, with reason, but it can help in times. Well, I, I really think it can, because... Uh, you know, I've got so much more self-confidence now. Yes, yes, I'm, yes, I'm, yes. I'm much less self-conscious in, in the company of the opposite sex, which uh, I wasn't, as you know. You're less inhibited, are oh, you? I should say. Good, um, this uh, is too... And the wonderful thing is, really, about it all, uh, well, um, I'm in love. Well, this is wonderful news, Roger. You're in love with a woman? Yes. Oh, so, much, so much the better. That's terrific. It's so wonderful to be in love. I can't tell you the the absolute joy I have. Well, love is a wonderful thing. I've been there myself. It's a wonderful <laughs> thing. I mean, she's this girl, this this creature, this goddess. Yes. She's so, you know, it's so right. Everything yes. is so yes, wonderful. Yes, 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 yes. You, know. you really, you really click together. Yes. <laughs> oh, it's it's so marvellous. But the only trouble is that, um, apart from this wonderful, light-hearted love that I have. I, yes, yes. I seem to be saddled with this tremendous burning sense of guilt. You have guilt as well as love. Well, this is, this is, um, this is unfortunate, Roger. You know, sex is the most natural, healthy thing in the world. There's no reason at all to have any guilt about it. I mean, why would you have guilt about sex? It's a lovely, beautiful thing, Roger. Well, it's, it's not... 
really as simple as that. You know, it's um, it's rather difficult to explain. Um, I, I don't really know where to start. We'll begin at the beginning. That's always the best. <laughs> uh, what's the girl's name? Stephanie. Stephanie, that's a lovely name, isn't it? Well, it's my wife's name, in fact, isn't it? <laughs> yes. It's Stephanie. Yes, it's Stephanie. No, it's Stephanie. Yes, it's Stephanie, Roger. Yes, it's it's Stephanie. It's your wife. Oh, you're Stephanie. in love with my wife, Stephanie. Yes. Well, this is a perfectly understandable thing, Roger. <laughs> She's a very attractive woman. I married her myself. I don't see why you should feel upset about that. But she's in love with me. Well, this again is perfectly understandable, Roger. I mean, you're a perfectly attractive human being, as I've told you over the last few weeks. There's nothing repulsive about you, is there? There's no reason why a highly sexed woman such as Stephanie shouldn't fall in love with you. And I must explain to you, Roger, that I'm a very busy man. I have many, many patients to see. I see rather less of my wife, perhaps, than I should. And I think it's very understandable that she should seek some sort of companionship outside the marriage. I don't think that's unreasonable but at she's all. But not, she's not seeking anything outside marriage, Dr. Braintree, and nor am I. We want to get married. Well, this again, I think, is perfectly, perfectly understandable. After all, you're two young people in love. You want to manifest your love feelings within the confines of a bourgeois society through marriage. I think this is very appropriate. The other thing is, you see, I should feel so grateful to you for what you've done for me, and, and all I can feel is this... This burning jealousy. I can't bear the thought of you touching her. Well, of course you can't. I can understand it. It's uh, tremendously possessive about someone one loves. When it's tremendously possessive, it would be unhealthy not to have this jealousy reaction, Roger. But don't you see, I... I hate you for it. Of course it. you I hate, hate you me, for being Roger. So near her. Yes, of course you hate me, Roger. You love to hate the one who loves the one you hate to love to love. <laughs> This is a very old rule, Roger. There's nothing to feel ashamed about. He's absolutely reasonable. Don't you understand? I'm, I want to kill you. Of course you want to kill me, because by killing me, Roger, you eradicate the one you hate. This is a perfectly natural reaction, Roger. You're so reasonable, aren't you? Yes, I am. You understand it all so yes, much. You're yes, so logical. Yes, I am. It's my I'm going job, to have Roger. to kill you now. Uh, Roger, this is a little inconvenient, because I have another patient at 6.30, and then there's somebody else at 7 after that. I wonder if you could make it sometime next week. <laughs> could you make it early in the week, sir? When? When do you think? How are you fixed, <laughs> How are you fixed on Wednesday morning, say, at 9.30? Would that be convenient? Uh, yes, that's perfect. Right, well, um, if you could pop along at 9.30 and kill me then. <laughs> Once again, Dr Braintree, I'm, I'm amazed, you know, really. I'm so grateful to you for... You know, showing me the way. It's what I'm here for, Roger. Thank you so much. Thank you. And with a bit of luck, this should be the last time you need to visit me. <laughs> okay, so I think it's pretty clear what's funny about this. Uh, the, psych the psychiatrist has cured Roger, and he feels so happy to be in love, but it turns out that Roger is in love with the psychiatrist's wife, Stephanie. The psychiatrist doesn't fly, fly into a jealous rage. In fact, he's ridiculously logical and reasonable about it. This sketch allows us to imagine what the psychiatrist must be like at home. So reasonable all the time. He must be no fun at all. No passion. Just plain dedication to his job. The rational understanding of psychology at the expense of natural human emotions and feelings, which is unnatural and ridiculous, as well as frustrating. Um... 
Of course, he even has a, a rational reaction to Roger's jealous rage in which he um, decides he's going to kill the psychiatrist. The psychiatrist then arranges for a, a, an appropriate appointment when that can happen. Um, now, this could be a wider statement, uh, a kind of satirical statement about psychiatry, but let's not analyse it too much. It's just funny, really, listening to the reactions and the nicely written lines. Let me just explain some vocab for you, just so that if you want to listen to that again, you can understand or learn some specific words and expressions. Um, so let's have a look. First of all is terrific. Well, you might have heard that a couple of times. That is absolutely terrific. Terrific just means great, you know, fantastic, excellent. Um, but it's rather a posh way of saying it. That's absolutely terrific. It's like a bit of a posh way of saying that's brilliant. That's great. Um, our little chats together have been... Uh, our little chats together have really been of tremendous help to me. Tremendous. There's another one. It's a bit like terrific. Tremendous means a lot, a great deal, um, a massive help, a tremendous help. So it's a nice word, but again, it sounds rather posh to say that. Our little chats together have, have really been of tremendous help to me. Um, I'm much less self-conscious in the company of the opposite sex, which I wasn't, as you know. Okay, to feel self-conscious or to be self-conscious means that you feel uncomfortable and self-aware, awkward and so on. So if you're not self-conscious, it means you feel relaxed, you're at ease and you feel yourself. Okay, um, and uh, Dr. Braintree says, yes, 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 you're less inhibited, are you? You're less inhibited. If you're inhibited, it means that your shyness or something else prevents you from really relaxing and being yourself. It's something that holds you back. So if you're inhibited, it basically means you're shy, you're introverted. Um, and the next line I wanted to explain is you really click together. You really click together. If two people click together, it means that they just really get on. They match each other perfectly. Um, so there's like real chemistry, um, electricity, and their personalities just fit really well together. You know, when you meet someone and you just really click with that person and, you know, you understand each other's humor and you get like a nice rhythm going on in your uh, conversations and in, in your relationship, that means that you click with them. All right. Click. Um, I seem to be saddled with this tremendous burning sense of guilt. If you're saddled with guilt, it means that you uh, you're kind of holding on to a lot of guilt. OK, um, I'm saddled. Now, a saddle is a seat that goes on a horse. Um, and if a horse is saddled uh, with something, it means it's carrying something. Imagine like saddlebags on a horse. Uh, the horse might be saddled with lots of um, um, stuff, let's say. Um, and similarly, you might be saddled with a sense of guilt, meaning, meaning that you're weighed down with a feeling of guilt. All right. Um, there's nothing repulsive about you. Uh, repulsive, it basically means disgusting. Um, and it also means that it, if, if you're repulsive, it means that you repel people. It means that you push people away or people don't, come, don't want to come close to you because you're so horrible and so disgusting. So there's nothing repulsive about you, meaning there's nothing disgusting or, or horrible about you. There's no reason why a highly sexed woman such as Stephanie shouldn't fall in love with you. Uh, there's no reason why... Uh, a highly sexed woman such as uh, Stephanie shouldn't fall in love with you. All right. Well, I don't know why I wrote that. What is it? Highly sexed, I suppose. It's a phrase, isn't it? There's no reason why blah, blah, blah shouldn't happen. I suppose that's kind of a fixed phrase. Um, 
you want to express your feelings within the confines of a bourgeois society through marriage, which is an extremely uh, uh, sort of uh, rational way of uh, uh, explaining the idea, explaining the reason why someone would would want to get married would be to um, express your feelings within the confines of a bourgeois society. So a bourgeois society is a kind of, uh, let's see, a sort of developed um, uh, culture, let's say, um, uh, in which there are certain sort of bourgeois conventions, including the act of marriage. Um, So obviously you wouldn't want you wouldn't want to just marry someone in order to express your feelings within the confines of a bourgeois society you it, it would be a lot more of an emotional personal thing than that um so you can just see there from the choice of words the way that the psychiatrist deals with the uh with with a proposal of marriage he sees it in purely sociological or psychological terms rather than seeing it on a more personal and emotional level um i can't bear the thought of you touching her okay to bear I can't bear the thought of something means that you really can't stand it. It's thinking about this really makes you angry or desperate. I can't bear the thought of you touching her, for example, might be something that someone very jealous would say. Um, And let's see. uh, Dr. Braintree says, because by killing me, Roger, you eradicate the one you hate. If you eradicate something, it means you get rid of it completely. Just remove it from existence. By killing me, Roger, you eradicate the one you hate. Um, okay, and then the final line, if you could pop along at 9.30 and kill me then. Uh, to pop along is a rather sort of informal, uh, friendly way of saying arrive or come here. Just pop along at 9.30 and kill me then. So obviously the joke here is that he's saying this in a very light-hearted, kind of flippant way. Just pop along at 9.30 and kill me then. Um so how can you explain that i think it's just funny the mix of that sort of flippancy with something so serious as as uh, a murder um okay right there you go i think that pretty much wraps it up for this i could bang on a little bit more about peter cook and dudley moore let's see i haven't got anything written down for this but essentially they were two guys who came out of i think it was the cambridge university scene it could have been the oxford university scene a lot of uh, great British comics come out of this scene. Uh, Footlights in Cambridge is a little comedy performance club, and a lot of the great comics that um, we've had in on UK TV since the fifties and sixties, all the way through Monty Python and other people like Rowan Atkinson and and, and others um, who were part of uh, this comedy scene. Uh, they become the kind of comedy establishment, you might say. Anyway, they met there and they were part of another comedy group called Beyond the Fringe with um, Jonathan Miller and Alan Bennett, who have gone on to become really great, very, very well-respected writers, uh, academics, uh, Jonathan Miller and Alan Bennett. Alan Bennett's a, a well-known playwright and he's I think he's written scripts for some films as well. So there used to be the four of them, but then uh, Peter Cook and Dudley Moore split off to form a, a double act um, during the 60s and 70s they made uh, lots of tv shows they made movies they made records uh, and lots of lots of great work uh, which was extremely influential so many people were into the work of them that inspired them to go on to make comedy and it really kind of established a tv comedy culture in the uk um, let's see what else did they do they went to hollywood 
Peter Cook and they both went to Hollywood and they made a couple of films there. Dudley Moore was actually quite a successful star in Hollywood in the 70s and 80s and he appeared in a few films. Um, nothing really worth noting. They're just some sort of uh, American comedies from the 70s and 80s. Um, he was in a film called Arthur, which was remade, I think, with... Um, who's that... Uh, comic with the long hair and the beard Russell Brand uh, remade Arthur but the original one had Dudley Moore in it now Peter Cook he stayed in the UK so they actually had a, a falling out I think when they went in different directions Dudley Moore wanted to become a, a big star and he he, he was in fact uh, but Peter Cook was a lot more serious and uh, less uh, less in, uh, interested in fame and fortune instead he uh, preferred to push his comedy in a more satirical direction and he was involved in setting up um, the UK's most famous satirical uh, comedy uh, magazine which is called Private Eye and Private Eye has been going for years and it's an, it's almost an institution in the UK it's a satire uh, publication it's, it's a magazine with articles and reports and cartoons and things which is very satirical and pokes fun at the establishment and politics and so on he helped to set this up so he's kind of one of the founding fathers of uk satire and satire in the uk has, has got um i guess an important part in our culture uh, in certainly in comedy some of the great comedy shows that have come out of our country have been satirical and i'm not talking about mr bean there's not really any satire in that but other things like um what else um Chris Morris's work, Armando Iannucci's work. You you may have seen um, The Thick of It or the movie which is called In the Loop and that's a kind of political satire. But um, it's kind of deeply in, entrenched in British TV culture actually, some kind of political satire. And Peter Cook's really at the heart of that. He um, He was also just a great character comic who could become these different characters and and give them a sense of a realism uh, a real uh, uh, while also bringing the characters to light in a very funny way he was really good at improvising and he would just sort of make do these monologues in a very slow voice um, a very deliberate careful slow voice but while throwing in all of these effortlessly funny lines um, there are more there are loads more um, uh, audio extracts of his work available on the on the internet and I do suggest that you look at Peter Cook's comedy online and listen to more there's so much more I could share with you uh, but I can only, only give you those two sketches there are loads of other things um, Peter Cook is, was an interesting character because he really uh, after a while I think in the 80s and 90s he kind of disappeared from the public eye and he spent most of his time I think in his big house in um, just sitting in in front of the TV he just became a bit of a couch potato and uh, it's a bit sad really because he was such a talented guy and it seems that he spent most of his time sitting on the sofa drinking beer um, like just drinking and watching TV uh, but he did involve himself in the in the publication of Private Eye uh, but he I don't know if he was sad or depressed it's just that he just didn't really care that much after a while he just sort of decided oh why bother you know, he, he preferred to just do his own thing privately. He kind of let himself go. Um, in the 60s, he was this tall, sort of elegant, attractive-looking guy. But by the 80s, he was kind of overweight, grey-haired, uh, sweaty, drunk. 
but still brilliant, still a brilliant mind and a br- brilliant comedy brain. Um, Peter Cook died. When did he die? In, during the, I think he died in the 90s, yeah. And Dudley Moore died probably about 10 years after that. So then neither of them are, are with us anymore, which is a great pity. Uh, but the work that they did in the 60s and 70s, classic stuff. And uh, I'm very glad to be able to share it with you. And I do recommend that you go and check out more. In fact, there's a BBC DVD which you can purchase on Amazon. And I think it's just called The Best of Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. And I do suggest you buy that because it contains some of their best sketches. And they're really, these, some of them are really classic works, which are just great fun. And you should uh, listen to them. You can just enjoy it, but also pick up all kinds of things from them. That's it from this episode. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed that. There'll be more stuff coming in the future. Not all like this, but uh, all kinds of other episodes coming your way on the internet soon. Uh, you know, leave a comment on this uh, on this episode if you fancy it. Uh, let me know what you think, uh, and I'll speak to you again soon. So this is Luke Thompson from Luke's English Podcast signing out, saying good night and goodbye. Bye bye. <laughs> Thanks again for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, you can visit teacherluke.wordpress.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.